This is the PR Podcast, a show about how public relations helps you tell your story to the world. We talk with great PR practitioners who have the skills, creativity, and just plain savvy to get their clients noticed. Now here's your host, Jody Fisher. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the PR Podcast. I'm Jody Fisher. Thanks for joining us. Well, hope you're doing well. We have been away for a little while, and that's totally my fault. It's on me. Um, I, I had my head wrapped around episode 100, and I just I, I was putting all this pressure on me to get episode 100 just right. Well, we published episode 100. We're past it. We're done with that. We're on to episode 101. Woohoo! Cue the fireworks. Uh, but hope you're doing well. We're getting back in the swing of things. Hope you're in the swing of things. Uh, the, the regular reminder here up front before we get to our guest, please send us your PR podcast plug items. We always love to plug people who are doing interesting and unusual things. It's your side hustle, right? It's the thing that you that you love doing. It's your blog. It's your TikTok. It's your newsletter. It's it's not your nine to five. It's the, it's the thing you you do regardless of the fact that you don't get paid for it, right? It's the thing that you love. Maybe you play guitar. Maybe my, my friend and our former guest, Steve Kastenbaum, for example, he plays guitar and he's a terrific guitar player. Like send us that kind of stuff. That's the stuff we want to hear. And if you got video and audio, well, we're not video podcasts, but if you got audio that goes with it, even better, we'll drop it in the show. Send us your PR podcast plug to the PR podcast on Twitter and let us plug your passion project. Now on to our very special guest today. Let's get right into it. <laughs> Jacqueline Tacarante is an award-winning marketing and public relations professional with more than 20 years of experience in both agency and client-side settings, serving Fortune 500 companies including Canon, Puma, Harley, Davidson, and Procter & Gamble. She is the CEO and president of JMT Media, a New York-certified MWBE marketing, public relations, and design firm that specializes in small business marketing in the nonprofit sector. She's also a founding board member of the Minority Women in Business Association of Staten Island, serves on the Executive Women's Council for the Staten Island Economic Development Corporation and a ton of other things. She's got so many awards, we cannot list them here. We are delighted to have her as a guest and my new friend, Jacqueline, welcome to the PR Podcast. Oh, thank you so much, Jody. That was such a fabulous introduction. I well, think it's, all it's all on you. It's all on you. Tell us tell us about, now, shout out, first of all, the Staten Island, okay, right? Uh, the the fifth borough. What do what do we call Staten Island? Right. That's right. right. We call it the unforgettable borough because there's so many amazing things that are happening there. Home of Pete Davidson, right? There we go. I mean, that's the he's latest. One, he's one he's person. The yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but tell us about your business and sort of the space. I mean, you're very Staten Island focused, right? Yes. You're you're Staten Island forward, and I love that about you. So tell us about your business and the kind of clients you work with. Sure. So first off, thank you for having me on this amazing show. You've had an entire roster of clients. And I'm actually from Texas, born and raised. Um, And so for me, community and connectivity always go hand in hand. And so when I started my agency seven years ago, it was really more out of a necessity. I was five months pregnant with my son, Roman. Um, Shout out to little Romano Pepper. He's now seven. And It was really because I noticed that there were so many businesses around Staten Island that didn't have an understanding or a clear understanding of what marketing or public relations and how significant that is, besides from getting placed in the newspaper or getting an ad online, it can really impact the growth and the strategic plan of a business. And so 
I decided to embark on creating this firm and over several years, um, our agency had applied to become what they call a minority woman business enterprise certificate. So essentially that means you can bid on city and state contracts. And because I'm Native American, my contracts, or I'm sorry, my application was actually denied um, because in the state of New York, Native Americans are considered minorities but in New York City, the term minorities are only if you are African-American or Hispanic. So I spent about two and a half years working with city council members, my attorney, legislators. And so I dipped my pinky toe into that public affairs, external affairs piece, which I really enjoyed. And after three years, and then I ended up having my second child, which is my daughter, Julie Violet. The new piece of law was established back in December of 2019, where Native Americans are now considered minorities, so I can officially have that term. And so that's really what was the catalyst for the Minority Women Business Association and teaching other entrepreneurs how to really advocate for themselves, um, because the PR and the communications and the marketing world is constantly evolving and 10 years from now, 20 years from now, there may not be a TikTok, there may not be a Facebook, but you still have to be able to have a presence and a thumbnail. And so that may mean that you may have to, you know, change a few laws, have a baby or two, you know, no big deal. <laughs> moms get it done. If there's, moms any, if there's any truth in the world, moms get it done. Um, <laughs> that's real, a really interesting, fascinating story. And, and I want to come back to that if we can. I also want to scene set a little bit for people who are not familiar with the New York City area. Staten Island is a borough of New York City, five boroughs in New York City, Manhattan, Brooklyn, Bronx, Queens, uh, and Staten Island. But as a media market, Staten Island is is almost sectioned off from the rest of New York City. It doesn't get, and I'm saying this in a kind way, it doesn't get the same treatment that the four other boroughs of New York City get. Um, so, so what are some of the challenges that you have to go through in getting that? I mean, you're part of New York City. My God, you can see Lower Manhattan from yeah, Staten Island. Literally from my window. <laughs> and yet, and yet, you might as well be in the Midwest in, <laughs> yes. in terms of the way the media cover Staten Island. So, how do you get around that? Sure. So, for me, it's really all about impact, having impactful stories. Um, because there is a, and I always tell my clients this, and so I'll take this as an example, a restaurant client, they'll say, Jacqueline, I want to be in New York times. I'm like, that's great, but that's not happening. And they're like, why? And I'm like, what separates you from the other 1500 restaurants that you're about to compete? Like, give me something like, tell me you like got a shiitake mushroom from Canada. I don't know, like, figure it out. Tell me what it is. And that's where I really have this um, power play, but in a positive way with my clients where I'm like, your job is not to just hire me and say, here's your retainer, go do it, figure it out. My job is to pull out and extract all the meaty, the juicy parts of you, and even kind of the ugly stuff that really can be fascinating for people to learn that can have that impactful story for press. And so it's been an interesting, um, time in my business. So during the seven years, to go back to your question about like, what are some of the challenges? You know, there's a lot of challenges in the PR world. So one, there's many times where I will be sitting at a table and I'm really excited. I'll be at a mayor's event or a city and stadium. And I'm like, this is great. 
but I don't wanna be the only one from Staten Island sitting at the table. So I have a very unique position that when I'm at that table, I get to ask, hey, can I bring, and to some people they would never do this, but I say, hey, can I bring my competitor in here? Because they also have an entire roster of clientele and entire industry that I may not have the capacity to represent based on Staten Island. And so I come from this world of, and this family history of just the more the merrier. And that's truly, when you have influence, that's when you have impact. And so there's no point in having influence if you can't have impact within your community. Yeah, it's such a great point. Do you find that um, pitching stories about your clients that are geographically located on on Staten Island, um, that that media immediately say, ah, no, we're not going to cover that. I mean, how, how do you get around that Staten Island geography? You know, I mean, so, there, there's the Staten Island advance, right? Which is, yeah. the, which is the daily newspaper, Staten yeah. Island. New York one, one. Uh, which is the local cable channel in New York city that covers the five boroughs. And they are the TV that covers Staten Island, but yeah. you go beyond those two in my experience and everybody else is kind of like, well, yeah, it's Staten Island. So how do you get around that? So there's a couple of ways. One, I actually don't put my first beat or headline as Staten Island, A, B, C, D. I always position it as New York City's restaurant or business owner, New York City Digital Media Center, New York City, et cetera, because I'm setting the tone and I'm planting the seed of like this capacity and greatness already in the um, reporter or the producer's mindset. The other thing is when I work with a client, and so let's just say that they want to be in the Wall Street Journal, and we haven't had a client in the Wall Street Journal for a couple of months, I'll reach out to who's managing that beat, and I'll ask them, what is your editorial calendar so I know when to pitch you properly, because this is what we have going on. So I'm working in tandem with the reporter. I'm not bombarding their inbox. I'm not calling them 500 times. And so the interesting part is some clients, they love it. And then there's some clients that are like, but Jacqueline, I want to be in blah, blah, blah. It's like the Willy Wonka. We're like, where's my snozberry? And I'm like, you're just going to have to wait. You're just going to have to wait a hot second. Um, and so I always tell my clients, I don't want to squeeze a square into a circle when I don't want you to just have a byline. If you want a full feature, that takes time, effort, money, resources. And so it's a process, but it's a strategy because I look at it from the perception also of, you know, even New York One, for instance, they have an amazing reporter, Victoria Mana, that has been with Staten Island for a couple of years. But there was a moment when there was only one or two reporters and there is no way you can cover every story. So I got to the point where I was like, hey, we do video production. Can we do the B-roll and the content for you, package it for you? We'll do the interviews. We'll give you it, what we call empty package. So you can add your own title bars at your own. And they're like, yes, we love it. And so with us having that strategy and thinking outside the box, every year at a minimum, we're able to do a minimum of like 700, what we call unpaid media placements. And that's a big deal for a small firm that only has five employees. Um, because I always tell people, I, I am a real business. I'm like, we're no longer in the freelance world. We're in the real business world. We're in the paying Mr. IRS man sales tax world. Um, and so we are constantly like trying to think outside the box of how can we position this client, but how do we make the reporter's 
life easier. So that way they can look to us as an industry influencer and a resource. Uh, because not everybody's a resource. Not every PR person is a resource. Sometimes people just throw things and see what sticks to the wall. And that's, you know, and I probably have been guilty of that when I first started my career almost two decades ago, but you know, you learn, it's like having a bad boyfriend. You just learn, <laughs> you just learn, <laughs> yeah, you, you learn you how know, to do it right. We, we know that that's not real PR and, and you're, you're hitting all my positive triggers there about being yeah. a resource to reporters Reporters, uh, we all know, appreciate um, PR people who they can count on as resources because they come back to them. They share information with them. They even call them up and they say, I'm going to be doing this thing. And exactly. do you know somebody? It's all that kind of stuff. And I'm so glad to hear you um, uh, talk about video production and, and oh, the yes. way you phrased about those unpaid media placements, because I do the same thing. I've been talking nonstop about this for the last three years definitely before COVID and it kicked up even in COVID when we were able to shoot video properly lit, properly mic'd, properly packaged, you know, a few sots, some B-roll completely unbranded. You deliver that to the news desk and it airs. Everybody yeah. has got a broadcast quality video camera oh, in yes. their pocket. So why aren't you using it? Absolutely. You know, the interesting part is when COVID first hit, um, immediately, I think, all small businesses that are in this media sector and industry, um, including myself, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to have all these clients drop me. What are we going to do? So the interesting part is we had about 30% of our clients drop. And then the other 70%, because we were doing live prod, um, podcasts, live broadcasting, um, talking to uh, actors that were on Netflix, et cetera. And so that 70% really went up and above beyond the 100%. And so for me, video content was always just a part of storytelling. And now it's become, it was a, just kind of an add-on. And now it's become a necessity in our media industry and in our sphere. And so it's worked out really great for us. Um, but, you know, one of the other things for me was I didn't want just myself or my staff to learn this. I wanted also young adults because I noticed that we were getting a lot of messages from students that were local here on Staten Island saying, um, Miss Jacqueline, can, are you looking for high school interns? Um, we would love to do something. We're in the middle of COVID. And I had always thought to myself, I want to start a nonprofit and I'm going to, I kept calling it the big 2030. Um, and I hired like a life coach and a business coach right before COVID. And then when COVID hit, I thought, you know what, what am I doing waiting for this? Let me just like put pen to paper. Let's plan it out. And so last fall, we were able to launch the New York City Digital Media Center, where we teach students, specifically students in low-income neighborhoods, how to create content. So they just did their first cohort, which was all about video production. We went all around Staten Island. We went to culturals. We went to parks. We interviewed city council members. And I tell my students, your first video is going to look awful. Trust me. But by the time we get to the end of this program, it's going to be fabulous. And so now we're in what we call the second phase of the program, which is podcasting. So I'm really excited because this allows each student to have an intimate conversation with local businesses, local nonprofits, and they get to practice. So when the students graduate in spring of 2023, they will be equipped with knowing how to do video content, podcasting, audio technology. And, you know, it's just a blessing to be able to 
to do what I love, but to also teach it. That's terrific. That, that sounds awesome. We were talking about how you navigate um, through uh, the, the New York City media market, you know, and taking the, uh, the prejudice away from, you know, what media might feel about Staten Island. Let's turn the tables a little bit and talk about hyper-local outreach, because we all know that, especially when it comes to things like nonprofits, or you mentioned restaurants, um, you are really talking to a very uh, defined niche of people, oh, yeah. a very defined market. Let's talk about hyper-local outreach. How do you go about getting that word out for your clients where you're trying, you're literally down to like a few zip codes that you want to be talking about? Sure. You know, it's, um, so I'm going to give you, a, I'm going to drop some gems here. So when we work with a client, before we even sign on a client, the first thing I do is I have like an extensive two hour, like lunch with them because I'm going to give them the jewels of true connectivity and community. And it's like your first date. Like I'm dating a new client and you know, immediately if this client's going to be, if it's going to mesh well, if there's going to be synergy, or if the client is like, here's your money. Don't talk to me. I'll see you next month. And so those are the type of clients that do not do well with hyper-local. Hyper-local media, marketing, advertising is really, you have to be open to it in the sense of connectivity and community engagement. Not every borough is as close or as tight-knit as Staten Island is. So the way how I look at it is in Manhattan, right? You have lower Manhattan, the financial district, each of them has their little pockets of food festivals, beer festivals, um, craft festivals, et cetera. And that's a small niche within that group. So we take that kind of concept and bring it down here where we know the North Shore, what we call the North Shore Restaurant Row, almost every single one of those restaurants is a bib gourmand or is an award-winning restaurant. And then we have our South Shore of Staten Island, which is primarily Italian-American culture, amazing food. There is no way that on the North Shore they can do an Italian festival. It is not going to happen because the market is already saturated with amazing restaurants on the South Shore. So what we try to do is we try to connect for-profit entities to connect with the nonprofit sector. So if there is an amplification within a handful of zip codes on the South Shore, we're working with the Catholic Charities, we're working with the Not-for-Profit Association that's within that demographic. So it's really about just doing your homework and figuring out which nonprofits can go with for-profit entities to amplify both brands. And it has to be like this great relationship. You can't have a, you know, one side is toppling over on the other. It has to work out, you know, simultaneously. Are you leveraging any or working with any hyper-local media outlets? You, I think of things like the weekly community papers. I think about the patch.com websites, those types of places. And how valuable do you think those are, especially to nonprofits, small business kind of, kind of clients that you work with? Sure. So interestingly enough, on Staten Island, like the patch.com or um, back then DNA info, like those websites didn't get the traffic that Staten I miss Island. DNA. Can we just stop from I miss yeah. DNA info? I, miss I that really too. do. Shout but out to Nick. I don't know where oh you're at, Nick. Oh my God. I love those I, guys. I, you know, uh, go what ahead. I love? You proceed. Yes. You know, well, side note, I love DNA info when they were around because 
they also had like one reporter that had to do the whole island. And so again, we were providing a resource. We were not only writing the pitch or the press release, we're writing the headline, the subcontent, the captions for the photo, doing essentially doing the work because we knew and the reporter knew that we were gonna give them great content that was gonna have great traffic. The interesting part is the Staten Island market is really still, and I say this with the most love and respect, they are still in the Facebook world. And when I say the Staten Island market, I'm talking about the consumers that are purchasing the dinner tickets, the family packages, the events, the let's go shopping at this festival, let's do A, B, C, D. That particular audience is dominated by the mothers. And so, well, I just so happen to be one with two kids, right? Um, and so the interesting part is the mothers that are making those consumer buying decisions or transactional decisions, the conversions, online click-throughs, they have literally three seconds. So most of the mothers are not on patch.com. Some of them are on SI Live, but most mothers, they want to see their students in high school football or their theater programs, and they are more prone to do what I call your clickbait, right? And so JMT Media, we've actually been able to provide a resource in having our own email blast. We have close to 38,000 um, subscribers on this email blast. And half of the content, it's not even JMT Media clients. It's more of what's happening in the community. So we're providing our uh, platform as a resource to community members to view small businesses, et cetera. That's great. You're, a, you're even becoming a media outlet yourself, really, or, or at least a distribution mechanism, right? Yeah. So, you know, and with that, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> oh, whipping out, whipping out the Peter Parker reference there. Oh, I love it. I love it. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. You know, there's, um, there's a lot of times when people be like, Jacqueline, just put this in your email blast. I'm like, no, because my 14 year old, you know, soon to be child is not going to want to see that. So I always have this, like, you know, everything's ethical for sure. Um, and so I try to be mindful of what we put out there in the public, just because it's really important that you've got to be able to put your head down at night, you know? For sure. For sure. Um, let's talk about, and, and I think I know exactly where you're going to go with this, but I want to hear it out loud anyway. Thoughts on the personal touch with PR. Um, I saw a tweet recently, actually, questioning about whether personal outreach to reporters versus the good old email blast was the better way to go. Now, after I picked myself up off the floor and tweeted my very provocative response, um, I'm going to throw that over to you. I'm gathering that you are very much on the personal touch side of things. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's even to the point that my staff know, I tell them when we come in. So everybody has to have processes in the office. So the first hour of my entire staff's day is you connect with the client. Even if you spoke with them on Friday and it is Monday, I want you to check in with them. How are you doing? Pick up the phone. I tell them all the time. I said, how many times do y'all email me and I'm out and about with the client and I don't see it, but then you ping my cell phone. You send me a text like, hey, Jacqueline, we just sent you an email. I am more prone to responding to your text message. And so I've had to explain that to my staff and I love all of them. Shout out to JMT Media Crew. Um, but I tell them all the time, PR is personal, right? We are, when any business opens up, 
that is money that they are taking away from buying extra inventory, from buying another or paying for staff. So because I'm a small business owner, I have a clear understanding of how, how much it costs to be able to do business. And so I tell my staff all the time, you know, what happens, what are you going to do if the email goes down? We had COVID, you know, a year and a half ago, two years ago. What if the internet shuts down? Every single one of our clients, their cell phone number needs to be in your phone for you to check in with them. And so when I first started my very first job, I'm dating myself almost two decades ago, um, working with Bromley Communications, which is a branch or an arm of the publicist group. Literally every single person had to have multiple cell phones. And that was the first thing they told us is it's all about personal touch. When a client renews with you, they're not renewing for your actual processes or the actual results. They're actually renewing because they feel confidence and they feel comfortable with you. So pick up the phone, pick up the phone. That's it. Pick up the phone. <laughs> yeah. And, and I've talked with, you know, you talk about texting uh, coworkers, reporters have told me, and I'm sure told you the same thing, you know, sure. Send me the email pitch, send me the news, send me whatever the thing is in my email, but then text me. Make yes, sure I got text it. Me, reminds me exactly because because I don't give everybody my cell phone number, you know. But the people who know to text me, I'm going to pay attention to. So exactly. yeah, absolutely. A little tidbit: uh, I also tell my staff don't do any texting or calls during the day. Um, the block from like 10:30 to about 2:30 to reporters because they're busy. They're busy trying to write their story, write their own content. You either want to get them before the day begins or the end of the day as a reminder for the next day. It's um, all about that pre 8 a.m. space, right? Because that's where they're sitting and literally looking at their screen or screens. Exactly. And figuring out what they're going to do that day and what they're going to do the rest of the week. Exactly. Exactly. That's great stuff. Well, Jacqueline, this has been a terrific conversation. Uh, wonderful insights into your business and, and, uh, and how you do business there on Staten Island. We are going to segue now into the rapid fire question portion of our podcast. If you don't mind. Not at uh, all. You, you said you're a listener, so uh, this should not be a surprise to you. Here we go. We take a page from inside the actor's studio, ask our guests a series of rapid-fire questions. Uh, without further ado, rapid-fire question number one. Jacqueline, what's your favorite news source? My favorite news source, oh, uh, my gosh. Um, I would probably have to say New York Times in the morning. And strangely, interestingly enough, I do read Advertising Age all the time. Oh yeah. Good, yeah. good source of information for sure. Rapid fire question. Number two, favorite social media platform. Right now I am digging the TikToks because I love music. I'm from the South. So shout out to the TikTok crew at JMT media. We do fun. We have fun music and it's great. I, I have just been completely absorbed by the TikToks. I got to tell I you, I, I, I had a tough time ramping up. I, but but I think I'm at least in a place where I know what I'm doing and now I'm just trying to keep going. But this is not my show. This is your show. Rapid fire question number three, coffee or alcohol? Ooh, honey, please. I got to be productive. I need coffee with a splash of almond milk. Oh, there you go. There you go. Coffee, true New Yorker. Rapid fire question number four, what's your favorite on the run food? You're from Staten Island. This should be something good. Well, but okay. Texas, Texas to Staten Island. Texas, so this is going to be so, extra special. Uh, okay. So normally I would say a taco, bean and cheese, shout out to San Antonio, but because they don't have that here, I will do a cinnamon raisin bagel toasted, little butter on one side. 
<laughs> All right. And while we're on the topic, best pizza on Staten Island. Oh my gosh. Best pizza right now. I would say Jason on the Bay and Sepe. Amazing. Amazing bread. There Amazing. we go. Look them up. Look them up. We'll put them in the show notes too. Rapid fire question number five. What do you want to be after you finish this career? Oh, that's a great one. Um, honestly, I've been really contemplating this. I really think that I would be a great nurse, but only to like senior citizens because I love talking to them. They have stories for days. So they, I'd probably be a great nurse. They absolutely do. I bet you would be a good nurse too. You have a terrific, a terrific way about you. Well, oh. Jacqueline, this has been a terrific conversation. Please let people know how they can find you online. Find us on jmtmedia.nyc on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. And if you can, please make sure to send us a DM. We'd love to TikTok and dance with you because we, that's how we get through our day, dancing it through the day. Sounds good to me. Thanks again, Jacqueline. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Please remember to subscribe to the show. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and the TikToks at the PR Podcast and send us a question or a comment. Our intro is by Christopher Apple. You can find him and his fantastic photography on Instagram at Christopher underscore A-P-P-O-L-D-T. Check him out there and hire him for all your photography needs. You can find me online at Jody Fisher on all the socials and on the web at JodyFisherPR.com. We'll see you next time on the PR Podcast.